Thank you for listening to the Power Shift Mindset. We'll be discussing techniques, concepts, and strategies to help you achieve the success and happiness you're looking for. Hey guys, Coach Jay here once again with Trudy Sedana, and today we have special guest Brianne Davis, actress and author of the book Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Hope you enjoy this show. Hey there, it's Coach Jay from the Power Shift Mindset Podcast. As we cover topics on the podcast that cover all aspects of health, I wanted to tell you more about my personal coaching page, BeMotivation.com. With over 20 years of coaching, I'm proud to now offer personal training. This includes personalized workout programs with video call check-ins weekly. And if you're in Central Connecticut, I can travel to you for one-on-one training. As an ISSA certified personal trainer who absolutely loves coaching, I'll help you achieve your physical health goals. Please check out BeamMotivation.com. Hey guys, it's Coach Jay, and I'm here once again with Trudy Sedana, and we have a special guest, Brianne Davis, and we're going to be talking about her book today. And Brianne, what is sex and love addiction? Ooh, you went right for the the jugular. You really want to know the good. Hey, that, that was Trudy's number one question. So I'm going right to the top. Um, what is it? I love this question. It's my favorite question. So it's I like to break it down in two parts. So we have sex addiction and we have love addiction, and they intertwine. So for the love addiction part, it's you know being in fantasy, looking for unrealistic expectations on a relationship, looking for an unavailable man, going back to bad relationships. Um, intriguing, flirting, going from relationship to relationship to relationship, sometimes overlapping them. And then if you hit the sex side, you're more addicted to the sexual act, whereas the love side, you're addicted to the specific person. So the sex side, it's, you know, masturbation, porn, one night stands, frantically looking online for your next hit, having multiple partners at a time, cheating, all that stuff, but really underneath it all, when you're a sex and love addict, you're afraid of intimacy. You're afraid of actually being loved, worthiness, fear of abandonment. So connecting love and sex is really difficult for sex and love addicts because sex is usually a dirty secret or there has to be heightened intensity at all times. And on the love side, it's like, so it just gets all crazy in a sex and love addict brain. (laughs) I hope that makes sense. (laughs) So would you separate it as two separate addictions or do they always go hand in hand? I feel like they always go hand in hand because it swings to the both, both sides being when you're trying to get somebody that's unavailable to love you, or you're looking for that person to complete you, that soulmate that like, fix me, fix me on the love side. Usually it's a tie to doing things sexually you wouldn't normally do, being detached from sexual acts, because really, if you're picking those kind of people, unavailable people, you're unavailable yourself. So I feel like they go hand in hand when someone's just a sex addict, usually underneath is a love addict is how. Yeah, Yeah, it's just easier when I talk about it to put it two separate, but usually you have both sides of the coin. Wow. Uh, okay. So I have to ask you, cause I read your book and I love, 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 love your book. It's Thank so you. good. And I don't want to give too much away cause I don't want to spoil it, but what are the most common traits of someone who has this addiction? And I know that you did too, cause you took steps and you answered those questions. So yeah, uh, the common traits are, you know, like I said, always looking outside of yourself 
to fix you. We are addicted to people, just like an alcoholic is addicted to a bottle or a heroin addict is addicted to heroin. The characteristics are usually always looking for a mate, overlapping them, sometimes cheating, which I was a cheater, flirting, intriguing our characteristics and we're looking we assign magical qualities to somebody right like i meet somebody i sign these magical qualities i become the person they think i am so i'm living out of my truth and when they don't measure up to the qualities i give them i then take it out on them i abuse them things like that i mean it's such a wide range that's why the disease i feel like is so hard to understand because it's so gray and you can have so many variables and you can swing from one to the other. It's not black and white, like drugs and alcohol. No, not at all. There's a lot of layers. (laughs) Yeah. What if you have someone that's in a relationship Mm -hmm. and could you, you said they go hand in hand, but kind of separate with the sex and and the love addiction. So Mm -hmm. if you have that loving relationship where everything's there, but the intimacy or the sex is not there. And you mentioned like porn and masturbation and stuff like that. So now someone looks elsewhere for the physical thing. Is that addicted to sex or is that trying to fill the void or vice versa? They might have a great sex life, but they don't have the intimate connection and the relationship. So now they're doing the online flirting for the connection aspect. I mean, are those just filling a void or is that an addiction? Um, Well, I think it starts as you fill a void. It always starts as that. When it becomes an addiction, it's when you can't stop. Like, for instance, when I, you know, was about to hit my bottom, I kept thinking like, wait, I have somebody I care about, but I'm about to blow up our relationship and I don't want to do this, but then I keep doing it anyways. It's these things where we, you put these boundaries with yourself and then you find yourself breaking them. For instance, here's some examples you break up with your ex, that's a bad relationship. And you say, I'm not going to call him. I'm not going to call him. And then you find yourself an hour later, a week later, a month later, calling him or texting, or, you know, I'm not going to go online and flirt with anybody on DMs on Instagram. I'm not going to respond. And then you're at home one lonely night and you do it anyways. And it's those compulsive behaviors when it's compulsive, like I'm not going to masturbate when I'm having feelings because my therapist told me that that's not good. And then you find yourself doing it. And then you're looking at porn. You say, I'm not going to touch porn. I'm not going to touch porn. And then you do it. And, and I think the part, like that's where things are disconnected. We have a hard time connecting intimacy and sex. So if you know, the emotional relationship with your partner is great, but then you're not sexually satisfied, usually it's something in you because what happens is Every relationship you're ever going to get in that high, that sexual high of the first year, the first touch, falling in love, that goes away. And a lot of us weren't taught the tools to have healthy relationships. And sex is just the icing on the cake. It's not the whole cake. So when the sexual high would wear off for me, I would be like, wait, this is where's, where's what they write about in books and movies. And they talk about, and that you always have to have that like sexual charge and that you, that's not sustainable in long-term relationships. So I hope I, 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 I agree with that. I, I mentioned the ups and downs of my really, I'll be married 20 years in June and yeah. I, I describe it as a roller coaster ride. And yeah. I said this, and my wife knows I use this analogy and it's like a roller coaster ride. Sometimes you smile, sometimes you puke, but for some reason we keep getting back in line. 
And, and that's how it is. It's not like everyone puts on Facebook where thanks for 15 great years, white picket fence, cat and dog, everything's perfect. It's yeah. not like that. And, and there's been struggles with us where our intimacy went up and down and, and other things were there to, to fill the void. And, and that's what it was. And, and we've had to, to work hard to get things back. You on, have on, to. Oh, definitely. It doesn't, it doesn't, but they don't teach that. you that in school, right? They don't say, Hey, what real intimacy looks like is you, it's not going to be that high. It's not the falling in love. It's having the hard conversations about what your sexuality is going to be like in the relationship, how you're going to pay your finances. How do you want to raise your kids? How are you going to be religious or not? All those things are not talked about. And I've been with my husband now for 16 years and I got through this program. We were together. I'm 11 years sober in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. So it's not like I got better in the program and found my perfect partner. What I did find is my self-love for myself, that nobody can complete me. My husband cannot fix it. He cannot fulfill all my needs. Nobody can. It's impossible. And that's what the program actually really teaches you. It's not about finding a partner it's about having boundaries and healthy relationships in all areas of your life, friends, families, and lovers. And self-awareness. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something that's a lot in your book is like when you're taking those steps and you're taking those steps was a lot of like digging in deep. And that's like a messy place to go sometimes because people are uncomfortable and that's why they don't want to do the work is because it's like, I'm too, it's not, it's that they want to change, but they don't want to do the work because it takes a lot. It takes a lot of crying. It's not bubble baths and like spa treatments. It's a lot of work. And no, it's, it's torture. It's torture. It's but tortures. then long term, it's it really like you come a long way and you come out on the other side that you want to come out on because you put in the work. Yeah, it's like a death. I mean, that's how I describe it as a death of you. You're dying. A part of you is dying. The old habits, how you coped with life are dying and it, you mourn a loss. And for me, mine was nine months of mourning. I cried every day for nine months, the first year of my yeah. sobriety. Yeah. And I was, I had a, I had a live-in boyfriend who's my husband and he, we had rules. Like he couldn't come in and fix it. He, if I was crying, he couldn't ask me what was wrong. We had very clear boundaries because my therapist and my sponsor and the program is like, you have to walk through that pain by yourself. You have to pull off the bandage. You have to jump off the cliff. You have to literally walk through fire and let your burn. Like you're going to want to crawl out of your skin. The, what happened at six months, and I think I wrote about it in the book, this heroin addict came in. He was a recovering heroin addict for like 15, 17 years. He said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. I cannot go through withdrawal. It is so painful. And that to me was just a moment for me where it was like, wow, this is no joke. And just being in the program, how many people commit suicide, try to commit murder, are in jail, have stalked. Like the insanity of people in sex and love addiction, if you think about it, anybody with long-term sobriety loses their sobriety because of relationships. And it's, it it's sounds no more common too than you would think because you hear about these problems, like no one really says it on the outside, but it's like in but behind closed doors, you don't know what's going on. Like I could go up to my friend and she could be an addict and I would have no idea because I don't know what happens behind closed doors because I don't live with her. 
So yeah. I want to also ask you after you completed all the steps in the program and you were at that point where your sponsor was like, okay, you can date, but you have all these rules. Was this a conversation that you had up front when you started dating again, like letting these guys know that, hey, I'm a recovering sex and love addict? Uh, and like, how did they respond? And how did you feel about bringing that up, being newly, newly dating again? Well, that's the thing. I wasn't dating. That's, that's a part in the book that's not me. And that's why I made it fiction because I really wanted to write the book where other people that weren't with a partner are single or, you know, a normie and healthy relationships could understand the disease. So I really put in, you know, I worked really hard with people on their dating plans, but you do not do a dating plan until after your seventh step. And the seventh step shows you your character defects. And for me, I have 22 major character defects for like liar, cheater, jealous, compare and despair, like all the, all the worst ones, like you can imagine. So you cannot date somebody unless you know the patterns that you keep living out and when your character defects flare up. Because I know now on a daily basis, I can tell you, oh, in that moment, this came up for me. I was envious and this, I was impatient in this moment. I was this and I can go through the list because I now see my patterns so until you see your patterns, you're just like blindly walking in, just doing the same thing over and over again. So I really wanted to like through Roxanne's story, take someone through how they start dating and how yeah. they start, because that's the thing with this addiction, like alcohol and drugs, it's black and white. You, you can't ever do it again. But with date, with sex and love, we can't survive without connection. We can't survive without love and sex, or we die as a human. Your, our spirits are, are not full. So you have to have relationships. You have to have relationships with your family and your friends. And if you're not going to be in a romantic relationship. So I really wanted to walk people through how you set up boundaries, how you hold yourself, how you let go of bad relationships, how you stop living out those patterns and then bringing it in to a new type of way of dating and new, but it's very, you know, you don't, you know, hold hands or kiss till the fifth date. You don't, um, no longer than an hour date the first couple of dates. Cause people, trauma bond they get too intimate too fast no texting texting makes people feel like they're intimate with each other and it's not it's the least intimate thing ever so, so it's like steps like that that can really help people now you mentioned you had 21 character defects so yes if you have one or two or three things that you have to work on but to have 21 different points that you have to make sure you keep in check what did you do to change your mindset to be able to control those? Because I, I, I do a lot of coaching and you take like the steps of uh, right now I coach archery. So you have all these different steps. When you work mm -hmm. with your athlete, you can only tell them to work on maybe one or two things a night. So if you're working on one or two of those 21 things today, the other 18 things could bite you in the rear and, and make you and relapse. So how do you control that many things at once? Well, it's first naming it. So if I'm having a feeling, if I'm angry, if I'm feeling impatient or any of those things, it's, it's to put a name to it. Like, Ooh, this is not a good way I'm acting. I'm not in gratitude. I'm not being of service to other people. So whenever I have those moments, because I've done it for so many years now, I sit and I say, okay, what's going on? 
And then I'll get to, oh, I saw that and that made me envious. And now I'm feeling like less than. So it's putting the words to your feelings because before when I was feeling a feeling as addicts, we don't want to feel feelings. You know, we think they're forever because, but feelings are meant to be felt. That's the thing. But I only want to feel euphoria 24 seven. Like (laughs) I don't want to feel anything else. So I hated feeling feelings. So I just like breaking it down very simply and saying, okay, what's going on? Oh, this is what's coming up for me. I'm in fear. I'm impatient. I'm judgmental. I'm being gossipy. All right. How do I get back to the other side? Do I need to make amends to somebody? Do I need to go and meditate for 10 minutes? Do I need to call my sponsor and say, I'm raging right now because this and this and this didn't happen. So it's just having all those tools and using how and knowing how to use them now that I didn't have before. And it sounds like you ask yourself a lot of like those questions when you're feeling a certain type of emotion. So for example, like envy or jealousy, is it really that, or is it something in between the lines? So let's say it's somebody's like you're possessive. Is it that you're really possessive or is it that you have a fear of abandonment, your fear of losing the person? So it's not really that negative words or something underneath, underneath it. Yeah, you exactly ding, ding right on because honestly, any of those character defects, we all have them just with an addict. They're amplified. They go to extreme. They're hysterical, historical. So We didn't get the coping mechanisms when we were usually younger. So underneath them and underneath any addict, it is the core ones. It's not being loved, not feeling worthy, having low self-esteem, fear of abandonment, all those things. It's literally only like five things and they all come down to the same issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like breaking it down and letting yourself be aware of it. Instead of walking out in the world and just giving your shit to everybody, you know, like, That's what I felt before. I was like an adult walking out like an infant, just throwing all my crap on everybody else, trying to get them to fix it or to, to mirror, to flirt with me back, to like make me get out of myself. So that's really interesting because I had a mentor who told me, he's like, you have hired everyone outside of your life. Your unconscious mind has hired everyone outside of your life as an actor to make you recognize something about yourself that maybe you don't want to accept or it's uncomfortable for you or something you think about yourself. So you're hiring someone outside. Yeah. I mean, that's what it says in the big book. It's like, we're the directors of our lives. We hire all the actors. We want to control and tell everybody what to do all the time. And it's like, No, they're in your life to teach you a lesson. They're here for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And you're you're learning a lesson. And sometimes the people that bring you to your knees, and we call them qualifiers in my program, that qualify you as like an addict. And you can be addicted to just one person, but we are grateful for those people that they put a mirror up to us and you can't look around anymore. And you're like, holy crap, I have this issue that I keep playing out with different people. Wow. Yeah. 100%, 110%. Yeah. Now with the the sex and love, you take like an alcoholic. So obviously, and I I have, I mean, family members have had issues with drugs and alcohol. So I've, I've been around it. Um, you get people that can drink responsibly and then others that have to stay away completely hundred percent. And do you find that with the sex and love addiction is, is there still that range where people can be a little more 
exploratory with sex and love and still maintain control? Or is it a more addictive thing that can run out of control quicker? Well, it's a brain, it's a, it's a progressive brain disease. So that's the difference with drugs and alcohol. It's a chemical addiction. So drugs and alcohol is a chemical addiction. I haven't seen many people that have addiction run in their family be able to handle alcohol. Mostly they're high functioning addicts where they, their life stays together, but they're still drinking excessively. Um, so I've seen people go down on their knees, even if they're like, oh, I'm fine. Or, you know, but with sex and love addiction, it's a progressive, it gets worse and worse. So what happens is you, somebody, you know, brings out that addictive side of you. They hit the core issues of, you know, abandoning you over and over again. And you're reaching out for that person that's scarring you that's trauma. And instead of feeling that and letting go of that person, if you keep bringing them back, you're storing up trauma in your body and it's got to come out sooner or later. So then you get into the next relationship and you're playing out that same thing because of the past trauma, not dealing with those issues that you had in that relationship. So it's progressive. It usually gets worse and worse over time, you know, but it's, it's like, I can't tell anybody if they have this, how I t tell people to look at it. If any of this is resonating, go online. There's 40 self-diagnosed questionnaire online. It's sex and love addicts, anonymous, 40 questions. It will come right up. It's easy questions. Like, do you look for a relationship to make your life bearable? Do you count how many sexual partners you have? Had you had sex when you didn't want to have sex? Has you put yourself in horrible situations? Do you always look for a romantic partner to fill your life? Things like that. Um, but yeah, it's a progressive disease. It usually gets worse and worse. And what happens is people deny it and they just think it's their partner and they then go to another partner and they're always looking for that outside person to fix him. But no one can fix you. Only you and God can fix you. Yeah. And like I said before, people don't want to do the work, but I mean, yeah. it sounds like you've transformed your life because of it. Your internal world has transformed your external world because it has yeah. to start from the inside uh so talk to talk about your book uh, uh secrets of a hollywood sex and love addict there's <laughs> a few people that you talk about in there i know it's all fictional and you have all these nicknames for them mm -hmm. did any one of those people that you talked about like respond to you like cool girl or um you had a bunch of nicknames i can't think on the cool top of girl, my head tattoo girl glam girl those are all based on real people or right. one or two people. And I will never tell you who they are. You can oh, no, 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 no. I know. I know. <laughs> no, if, if, no, but I've had people try to guess. And one person got one of them right. And I was like, no, was, no, it's not that. <laughs> did, did they text you after they read your book? And were, were they like, how'd they respond? Um, no, but I'm waiting for the, that call sooner or later. Um, one knows about it and read it beforehand and she was totally fine with it. The other ones, I think I've changed things enough where they're like, wait, is that me? But here's yeah. the thing. People don't want to admit they have a problem. Like you said, no, it's very, this is a very hard program to get in. They say it's the PhD of all addictions because all addictions underneath are the fear of abandonment, fear of loneliness, low self-worth and stuff. So many people don't want to walk in. Many people don't want to admit they're a sex and love addict. There's this really bad stigma around sex addiction. But then when you put in the love addiction, nobody wants to admit it because they don't want to admit they have problems with 
relationships because our society puts so much emphasis on relationships, especially as a woman. Um, so so <laughs> a lot of people that I think in the book that are in the book don't want to admit they have a problem. So people only see what they want to see. <laughs> that know? is 100% accurate. It's true. We do. Actually, I was telling Jay about this experience. I think I told you like a few weeks ago, you, this guy, he's a behavioral scientist and he had us do this experiment where he's like, guys, I want you to uh, lock your screens and tell mm -hmm. me what's the third app on the bottom of your screen. And like 50% of people couldn't answer it. And he's like, what time was it? And nobody looked at the time because they're only thinking about like something else. So like you said, people see only what they want to see. So when you're looking at something, you're only looking at what you want. What's yeah. In you. Yeah. And people don't, like I said, just on my podcast to get someone to come on, especially a man, which has been crazy to get a man to come on and say they're a sex and love addict. Even if I change their name, because majority of my guests change their name completely. I can't get anybody. And I know so many male sex and love addicts. I've been in the program over a decade and I can't get people because they do not want to talk about it. People are ashamed of this addiction. And I think that's why I wrote the book, right? I wrote the HuffPost article is just to throw open the doors to say here, we all have this. So many people have this problem and they don't talk about it. And what really got me to write the book was at the decade when I got it, my 10 years, all these young people were coming in. We have an influx of 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds saying, I cannot have a relationship. Like, it's impossible for me to commit. It's impossible for me to feel intimacy. It's impossible for me to own my sexuality because of so much porn they're raised with and they watch it way too early. And they said it's an epidemic. I just watched something on CNN that's saying the porn is like ruining our humanity and it's an epidemic and it's just so I just felt this overwhelming feeling to be of service especially to the younger generation do you think oh. this this addiction unlike drugs and alcohol which nothing's changed with technology yeah. and sex and love addictions with the like you mentioned dming and texting okay. and and obviously access to porn and stuff like that with the internet is this addiction becoming even many more people involved with it or just more noticeable now? I mean, no, it's becoming, it's, I mean, I've done so many studies and especially writing the book, I put a lot of, of work behind it in scientifics. I've talked to scientists and also therapists and stuff. And they just said with technology, it's making our society feel like they're connected and we're more disconnected than ever. So if you're taking a young brain that hasn't hit puberty yet and you're making them see porn quicker, to show their sexuality when they're not actually ready to flirting and DMing with strangers, thinking they're connecting with them. It is recalculating young kids' brains. So they're always wanting to get stimulated. They're always searching, swiping, filtering, not living their true self. And it's like the, the young men today are having trouble even getting aroused because their brains are so connected now to what porn looks like they think real sex looks like porn and it doesn't porn is fantasy and that's the thing and I grew up watching movies way too young my first movie I watched and I wrote about it in the book was Romeo and Juliet you know I yes. had very parents that thought it was cool and 
they showed me Romeo and Juliet. And I remember at six years old, seeing Michael White's butt and being like, oh my God, that's a nice butt. Like, I remember <laughs> thinking that. And then I remember at the end that one or two people were willing to die for each other. One was willing to drink some poison. The other one was willing to stab themselves. And I was like, that's it. it has True love is a nice butt. And somebody has to be willing to die. It has to be so passionate and dramatic that it's a secret from their families and they are willing to die for each other. And that is happening now, but with porn, with being on Instagram, with seeing all these images, being inundated with sexuality and all that over and over again. It's, it's pretty bad. Honestly, I have the last two years, the amount of young people that have come in is mind-blowing I can't even tell you and I started 11 years ago I was the youngest one and I was in my late 20s and now it's like 20 year olds 19 year olds you can't come in if you're 18 and younger by the way just had to tell everybody so you're still sponsoring people yeah I sponsor four people right now I the most I've sponsored at one time was five it's a lot of work I sponsor them all over the world they live in different countries um yeah I still sponsor you mentioned that younger than 18. And obviously mm -hmm. at 18, you're an adult and can admit yourself into a program. Yeah. But then what about, like you mentioned, all these kids, I mean, like I said, I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old and with their smartphones, I can only yeah. imagine what they're watching on the school bus. Uh, yeah. And so if a 16 year old has been watching too much and, and you can see their attitudes and are there programs for youth that be so yeah. they don't go down this road or do we let, let them deteriorate for two more years before at 18 we allow them into a program? No, there is young, there's younger programs. So you can look at, you know, porn, sexuality, sex and love, 18 and younger. And there's other programs for their age group because the things that are discussed in a sex and love addicts room is very safe. It's a, it's honestly the safest room in the world. People always think how strange a bunch of men and women sitting around talking about their sex and love. And it is the most safe place. I, I would rather sit there than any other place in the world. Like right. I trust people more in those rooms. But the teachings with adults and versus a 15 and 16 year old will be worried yes. different. Yeah. It's, it's very, you know, people are not allowed to say you're, you have to dress a certain way. You have to, you can't go into details. You have to, you don't get to name where, you know, dating sites and all that. So there's a lot of rules, but still it's not appropriate for younger people. They're, they are not in tune to the same thing an adult is. And mm -hmm. I think that's where us in social media have, we failed. I feel. Yeah. I mean, just on my media. take. <laughs> social media definitely has disconnected us for sure in a lot of ways and i i think they made it that way where it's like attractive so you like want to look at it i think there's statistics that say that you go on yeah. instagram i don't know like how many hundreds of times well they day. made it like a vegas casino they did that on purpose you know how you have to swipe and, and dating apps swipe 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 yeah that is the same thing as pulling you know gambling and they did it on purpose. You shouldn't have to actually swipe. It should just refresh while just sitting there. And they purposely did that. And here's the thing why I don't like social media. First, it's not healthy to be always looking at yourself or looking at images. And for me as a sex and love addict, it really flares with my compare and despair. I could be having the best day ever and I get on social media and I could crash in like a minute if I see something. 
And I just feel like a lot of my friends that have had like years and years in AA and they're in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous have lost their sobriety in the beverage program and the drugs program because of social media, because they get in relationships, because they're being intimate with these strangers thinking it's a real connection when it's not. I can't imagine being young. And having Instagram, I don't think I would survive. I think I probably would have killed myself, honestly. I I wonder what it would have been like back in high school if if we had it. And I'm I'm 45, so I I lived before the internet. So we didn't even have the internet, let alone smartphones and Instagram. Dude, I'm right there with you. We had pagers. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I never had one of those. (laughs) I had the pager, but that's the thing. Like, can you imagine comparing yourself to the entire world instead of just, and here's the thing, you know, you go to school and you deal with your friends or you're bullied or you whatever, and you go home and it stops. But now with the internet and Instagram, they still, they're at home and all they do is this. And they're still looking, they're still at school. All the friends, it's it's just, I can't Have you dealt with anything like bullying on social media like while you've been on it like personally have you had a personal experience with that I mean yeah I mean as an actress we get bullied all the time I mean people I I have a lot of fans that like get upset when I kiss their favorite actor on screen and I'm like what I've had so many people reach out and be like f you you are a b-i-t-c-h I don't know if you guys cuss but like they go off I mean I've had like gun symbols sent to me I've had like oh my god yeah where I have to just block it because I kissed their favorite actor in a show and I'm like I'm I I they're like he's mine you can't have them I'm not kidding I go I'm married what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) wow but those people are living in fantasy that's the thing and that's what I talk about a lot on my Instagram it's like we live in fantasy like you're never going to get with that person. I said, even if you're in love with them, you don't know them. They're just on screen. So it's this fantasy that we all go into to escape our real lives. It's true. We do. Trudy had asked about the other characters you have in the book and how you said they are modeled off real people. And you said that you're waiting for the call because they don't, not people, many people admit about the addiction. Do those people have the addiction or do they just get stuck in your crossfire? No, these people have the addiction. All the ones in the book that I talk about have gone to the program. Um, Some of them that haven't, I feel a need to, but I can't make anyone do anything they want to. That's the thing. We show the way, but we don't force anybody. And you can't make anybody change anyways, but um, no, I, I... They've been in the room. And let me just say, if you walk into a sex and love attic room, you're not going for a good time. You're going because you're at the bottom. Like you do not walk in that room if you do not have a problem. They say that AA is the last house on the block you want to go to. But then then they say slaw, which that's the, the sex and love addicts anonymous. Slaw is this shack in the back like no one ever goes to. It's like the worst place. Like people <laughs> wait years and years before they actually walk in the room. It's just a brutal, brutal program. It's, t- it's tough. It's like tough. Do you think Hollywood has influenced certain types of behavior that you normally wouldn't see like in, I don't know, like a small town. 
to notice a difference in the Hollywood culture and the life because you're in that environment where you really know what goes on behind the scenes because you've been to the parties, you've been in the meetings, you've been on set, like you know what goes on. So what would you say there's like an influence there with certain behaviors and ways? I mean, I would love to say it's just Hollywood. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a lot of sponsors sponsees and sponsor my sponsors. No, no, I know sponsees. in different countries. I know it takes place all over the world. Yeah. The certain types of behavior and characteristics. Do you think when somebody moves from like a different country to Hollywood, it like, I don't know, provokes a certain- Oh, it amplifies. I think Hollywood amplifies every addict. I definitely, you know, you are surrounded by people you're attracted to. People flirt. You have to put on show. You have to put on your sexuality for a job. You know, there's the partying atmosphere if you're a drinker. I mean, definitely Hollywood amplifies addiction. And I think that's why we see so many celebrities crash and burn. Because when everything is given to you and everything you've ever strived for, which I thought, you know, once I get the show, once I get the movie, I'll feel fulfilled and I won't have to do these other things. But the problem is you can have all the money in the world. You can have the perfect partner, the perfect life. You can have that car, that purse, blah, blah, fill in the blank. It doesn't complete you. It will never fulfill you. And it's, I like to call it the disease of more. Like I'm always looking for more. So once you get that award, once you get that show, you just want more, 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 more. It's you're insatiable. And that's what makes you an addict. You're insatiable. And definitely Hollywood plays into that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then you're on vacation and you're away and they have this thing. And I write about in the book, the showmance. The showman's, yes, I remember it. And I think this is why, like, where the question came from. And I didn't mean it, like, to say that, like, oh, like, other people don't have this. Oh, I didn't take it like that at all. No, but I am telling you, a lot of small town people, we have a lot more people in towns, like, that don't have any meetings that, you know, Zoom in and stuff. It's, it's, It's spreading. It's really crazy. It's how it was 10 years ago and how it was now. It is amplified. Like, I can't even tell you the meeting used to be 30 people. And now it's a hundred people. It's 300 people in meetings. It's insane. Do but you yeah, know this when... showmance, it. No, no, go what? ahead. <laughs> oh, the showmance. I just wanted to answer that question. Like yeah, the showmance please. world where you go on location, you leave your family, your friends, whoever, you know, for months and months at a time, you form this bond with all the workers and people act out, people have affairs. And then as soon as that show's over, movie's over, it's done. And it's very, very, very common in our business. It literally, you can walk on set and I talk about this in the book and be like, okay, she's sleeping with him. They're like, something's going on there. Like you can literally, you just know. You just oh. know, yeah. From, from someone not in the show business business. And yeah. after the, I forgot if it was Grammy Awards or the movie awards, um, but when Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga did their performance live, I mean, all over tabloids, mainstream media, it was like, there was too much passion in their performance. They made such a big deal about, is there something going on? Because like right. you said, for, for months and months, they were together, they performed this movie where they had an intimacy within the set. And then everyone made a big deal because they just had a dramatic performance that they performed live. And so that, that type of thing where you're going to have that connection and yeah, people on the outside will just read into it different ways. 
I mean, I can't speak for them if they were together or not. I don't know. No, I'm not I asking have, that, but that's yeah, people but just assume. Say, yeah, but majority of the time when you hear about something like that, it's probably close to being true. Just my experience, you know, I don't know who specifically, but just on the inside, if there's a rumor, usually rumors are, are true is how I like to say it. Oh, wow. I never thought about it in that way. Cause usually when you hear people say, oh, it's just a rumor. It's like, it's like a 50, 50 thing. Right. But it sounds like in this case, it's more of like the 98%. I would say like a 90%, the, the rumor is true. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know Bradley or that specific rumor, but just my experience when I hear about something and then people are trying to diffuse it, it's always pretty much true. Right. Like why would someone make that up out of thin air? Like for no reason. Yeah. Um, Especially if there's one or more people saying it, it's usually like where there's smoke, there's fire. If you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you Uh, catch, do you catch yourself going back into some of your old patterns and what do you do to handle those situations? Well, luckily the good thing is I, I think before I, the first year of my sobriety, like I said, it was brutal and I didn't work for the first year. And when I find people that come into the program and then go to work within that first year, it's hard to maintain. There's a lot of slips in the program, but for me, I didn't work for the first year. And so a part of me was like, if I don't need to, if I can't work this career, please take it away, God or universe or whoever, especially my therapist was like, you pick the worst career for your addiction. Like you're surrounded by people. You're never home. You're always playing roles and going into fantasy and like your whole life you're living in make believe. And then there's a lot of rejection, judgment, critics. Like it's the worst. She said it was the worst. So I said, you know, if I don't do this anymore, please bring me something else. But just going through the program, doing all that hard work, you know, not working at the same time. When I go on set now, I have a really strict boundaries. You know, I don't interact, you know, off camera with co-stars. I don't flirt. I don't intrigue. I don't put myself in situations where it could get dicey. I'm pretty, I'm pretty hardcore about it. My husband and I don't spend more than a week five days apart. Um, you know, I just try to stay with reality. I go on a meeting every morning. I talk to my sponsees. I talk to my sponsor. So it's like, I have a lot of tools in place where I haven't slipped. I actually have never slipped in my program, which I'm really proud of, but it's tough. It's tough. And if you're, you have something traumatic or something comes up or you're in a fight with your, you know, your partner, there are days where I'm like, I just want to run away and go live here and be like, you know, doing whatever I want to do. And it's like, that's not reality. I've done that already. I, I know I can look at somebody now. This is what I do in my head. And I did this when I first started, I can look at somebody and go through the entire relationship with them. So if I see somebody attractive and they're flirting or trying to, I can look at them and go, oh, it's going to go like this. And we're going to have our first date and then we're going to touch. And then it will be the first time and I'll feel butterflies. And then sooner or later, we're going to live together and then we're going to have to pay the bills. And then we're going to have to pick up dog poop and go grocery shopping and do laundry and blah, 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 blah. Every single relationship is going to go that way. So I just run through it really fast. So I know it's like, won't, it's not real. Wow. 
Does that make sense? Oh, no, definitely. I mean, it sounds, and it like, I love how committed you are to that too. Like there's a lot of, you, you're not coming from a victim mindset, which we all do sometimes. Like, let's be honest. Like no one's like, no, I'm, I've never been a victim or I don't think of myself in that way, but like really owning it and, you know, like knowing that you're the creator of your life, you're creating what you want in your life. I just, I love that you're like in that place and you're like, nope, I know what I want. And I'm using all the tools and I'm doing this because that's going to inspire the next person. That's going to inspire someone you're sponsoring or some stranger that's reading your book and is like, oh my gosh, I finally found an answer. They're going to look to that and don't even know whose life you're touching right now. Well, that's so sweet. And I, I, it's because I know that if I don't do those things, if I don't go to a meeting, if I don't have sponsors, as I'm not talking to you guys or being of service outside of myself, I will blow up my life in a week. I'm telling you, I know I'm going to be an addict. I know I'm going to be a lifer. And I talk about this moment in a book where I pull, I get my six month chip. I just shared for the first time, which is a big deal. You get asked to share for 20 minutes. You go through your story in a big meeting with people all listening. And it's just a beautiful moment. The first time you're asked to be of service that way. And I go get my six month chip. It's like this little red plastic coin. And I pull into the In-N-Out Burger at 9.30 at night in Van Nuys. And I like roll down my window and the worker, the 15-year-old, you know, pimply face, like just little, he like looked at me and he goes, he got like, he found me attractive. And I'm not kidding you guys. It was like heroin shot up my arm and my entire body was on fire. And I was like, holy crap, I'm going to have this the rest of my life. I am always going to want power and control over another person. That is my disease. Cause it's not about the sex. It's about having power and control over other people because inside I feel so powerless. So I am very humble to the fact if I don't work a program, I will blow up my life. And, but here's the thing. It's, humbled me. I'm a worker among workers. I am no better or less than anyone else. I am just fine, just as I am. And I say this and I truly mean it. If my husband leaves me today, like if he decides he doesn't want to be with me, I'll be devastated because we've made a commitment to each other, but I will be okay. Like he does not complete who I, my, my serenity and peace. And I couldn't say that before. I was always looking outside myself for a man, a soulmate, someone to like fix me, to make me feel special, to give me what I needed because I was so depleted because I came from such a background where I didn't see a healthy marriage. My parents never kissed in front of me, held hands, slept in the same bed. They fought constantly. And I know that's where I come from. And if I don't do the work, I will destroy my life. And so I'm just humbly here saying, listen, I have this problem. I'm no different from you. I'm just on the other side of this addiction and you can be too. There is a way out of these patterns of always reaching outside of yourself to complete yourself because to live that way is exhausting. And to live this way where I hold my own is the most freeing serenity peace, like I don't want to flirt with anybody. I thought the the day flirting was taken away from me, I it would be the most boring existence. And I didn't realize how much I was raping other people for their energy to fix me. 
And I just can't do it anymore. It, it, it kills my soul. I was killing myself. That's so beautiful and deep and authentic. I love just like you were hearing about, I could like, I could feel what you were saying and I understand what you're saying. And it's just beautiful. Um, so I want to ask you on that note, what is a piece of advice among many, you know, that you could give someone who is maybe dealing with this, or maybe they're dealing with just feelings of not feeling worthy, or they feel like they need to be in control, whatever it is, what would yeah. be your piece of advice for them? I say just like telling someone there's something about when you say, when I made that call to a therapist and said, I don't know what's going on. I really need to come in and see you. And then sitting down and telling someone you trust, a therapist, a friend, somebody that you know is not going to judge you and say, I don't know why I keep going back to this person. I don't know why I keep cheating on my partner. I don't know why I keep doing these things. There's something about the power of it not being a secret anymore that the shame kind of lifts. And then usually the other person is like, oh my God, I've done that. Or someone I know has done that. So opening the conversation. And then the second thing is go online, fill out those 40 questions because it will tell you if you get five or more yeses, you might have this problem. And I got a lot more than five, let's just say. And it's in the book, how many I got. <laughs> yeah, I remember me, I was like, whoa, she, she was really honest. It was like, uh, I'm not gonna say the number because I, I know what it is, but I don't wanna, I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone okay. listening. Read the book. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned how you didn't see your parents be affectionate to each other. They slept in separate beds mm-hmm. and stuff. And I mentioned my relationship and my wife and I went to therapy. And, and part of the thing is my parents divorced when I was eight years old. So I didn't see the way a loving relationship be. My, my wife's mother moved from Portugal to the United States when my wife was 14. So for, mm. for two years, my wife had to be not only the daughter to her alcoholic father, but also kind of the wife role of the cooking and cleaning, not only the big, big sister to her younger brother, but also the mother role. So for two years, she had to become an adult really quick. So she never saw them acting in an affectionate way. And then even once the rest, her and her brother and her father moved to the United States, same thing. The parents never really interacted. My father-in-law goes to bed at eight o'clock every night and still doesn't recognize his addiction and, and do anything about it. So what can we do? And we mentioned it early about like how schooling, how, how can you teach young kids? I mean, like you said, the program, it's really too much for them to take in, in that type of program. So how can yeah. we teach the younger generation? And now that they have all the temptations of the internet and social media, how can we teach them what this is? I mean, we talk about drug addiction to, to young kids and yeah. I mean, say no to drugs. We talk about alcohol and say no. So how can we even get this as part of a curriculum at a young age so they don't get slapped in the face with it and not, not even recognize what's coming at them? Yeah, no, I love that question. And, and I've been thinking a lot about that because I've been thinking about opening up a course or something for the younger generation. But I think the first thing it starts with is ourselves. Because if we're not modeling what a healthy relationship is to our children, that's what actually really helps them if we model it. So if there's something in you that's keeping you disconnected from your partner or you're a sexual anorexic where you shut down sexually after a time, a long time, a long period with a partner, if you're disconnected from 
your significant other, especially in front of your children, that is going to affect them the rest of their life. They're always going to be searching just like we are. So I feel like it is generational. You know, the generations before us didn't know how to communicate. And they'll even say that, like they didn't have therapy, self-help a generation ago. I mean, I asked my mom to go to a therapist and she said, I'm too old to change. I'm, I'm not interested. I was like, okay, mom, you do you then, you know, like if that's how I said, everybody's can change at whatever age. She's like, I'm not interested, but like, it's been generational. So we have to model what a healthy relationship is. And that's what my husband and I are doing for my son. We are trying to stop the addictive tendencies in us, like stop it at us. And so we say loving words to each other. We're affectionate in front of our children. We talk openly. If we get in a discussion and argument, we try to do it in a healthy way in front of our child to see there is arguments. You do have to show kids how to argue because here's the thing. It's the ripple effect. That's what I really learned about this program when I did, you know, had to look at all the people I had harmed. The ripple effect of one me acting out with one person rippled to so many people. And what I'm trying to do now is model it for myself where my ripple effect now is helping people, is getting them not to do those things they used to do that was learned. But yeah, I would love to think of a way to help young kids not reach out, you know, to find the soulmate. Like I said, there is no soulmate. You are your soulmate. You live and die with yourself. No one's going to complete you. I would love to teach that in schools or try to help them not get online to, you know, get validation. It's, it's going to be very, very crazy when we find out how getting likes on Instagram is mentally affecting our kids, always looking for validation. So I'm right there with you trying to figure it out. I just know the only thing I can control in this life is myself. And hopefully I teach my son how to have a healthy relationship. And then, with all, and then with all the resources that are out there, the different podcasts, and I listen to many different podcasts, but there's also very sex positive podcasts that will talk yeah. about how in, in a, a good relationship, porn or masturbation or, or whatever, and kink for lack of a better term, yeah. wants to use that it's healthy and there's nothing wrong with it. So how do, again, how do, whether they're youth or whether they're adults, how do you balance on okay, what is good and what's acceptable and what's a good limit? Yeah. And then what's, what's, what's the part that's going to make them drunk? I mean, how many drinks can they yeah. and stay in control type of deal? I think it's knowing when you're doing it, if you're doing it in a positive way with your partner and it's, it's connecting you to, and you're not disconnecting and going into fantasy with your partner, it, masturbation, porn, all that stuff is very healthy. It's just when we use it to not feel our feelings or not to be in reality. So I think, you know, talking to young kids, like if he's they're masturbating or in romance or whatever, you know, to really make it like, they're just, a, that's a small part of your life. This is, doesn't complete you. You know, when you act out like this, is it because you don't, you don't want to feel a feeling or are you disconnecting? Like how often are you watching? So it's those questions. It's those uncomfortable conversations that we have to be willing to have. And that's where, you know, the United States is a little like, we don't, we're very, very straight laced country and we don't want to have those conversations. And unfortunately we're about to see, you know, a dip you know, in marriage and having children, all that is happening as we speak right now. 
we're, we're kind of a confused country where we don't te- we don't teach it, but you yeah. can see pretty much yeah. anything and everything. So yeah. it's kind of like we're like in Europe, nudity is okay, but they they don't go to the extremes that you go here. It's kind of like we have here's one part, here's another part, but we don't have the bridge in between. Well, it's keep it's them. kept a secret. You know, it's shameful. There's like a stigma around it, but then people are doing it anyways. And that's just where we have to like get it out in the open. And that's why I'm talking about it as a woman. Like here's someone that's a sex and love addict. I'm not a man that got caught cheating on his wife and then says he's a sex addict for an excuse. Like this is real. And it's not just someone getting caught. Like this is a real problem in our society. If I can have this problem, anybody can have this problem. Brianne, thank you so much for being here and sharing, you. you know, your stories and your pieces of wisdom. And I just love your book, guys. Go read it. It's so good. Thank yeah, thank, you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Thanks, Brianne. Have a lovely rest of your week. You too. Bye. Bye. Shift Mindset Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. While the suggestions, strategies, and practices we have given have been proven successful for our personal use as well as clients we have worked with, these recommendations should not supersede instructions given by any licensed professionals, including but not limited to your primary care physician and mental health professionals. Thank you. Hey guys, Coach Jay here. Just wanted to thank Brianne Davis for coming out on the show today. We really enjoyed having her as a guest and and this was and probably one of the deepest topics that we've discussed on the show. And for those of you that did connect with this topic, please look for the help that you need out there. And as Shruti and I have said in previous shows, it's okay to ask for help. And please seek out the help that you need. And again, if you like the the content that Brianne shared with us, and check out her book, which is on Amazon, The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. You can follow her on Instagram. Her page is The Brianne Davis, as well as Secret Life Novel for the book itself. And check out all her links at BrianneDavis.com. And Brianne, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for joining us today for the PowerShift Mindset Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at The PowerShift Mindset. And also visit thepowershiftmindset.com. Thanks again for listening to the PowerShift Mindset.